Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Think for Yourself podcast. In this episode, Dr. Mantramani shares the audio portion of his February 2nd, 2021 webinar discussion with Gilman Louie. Okay, well, thanks everybody for joining. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled today uh, to have with me uh, Gilman Louie, who is a venture capitalist, someone I've gotten to know over the last few years. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, which will go across a whole bunch of topics in the technology era, broadly defined. Uh, but before we go there, I'm going to absolutely uh, uh, do my traditional advertising, which uh, we need to do. First of all, well, that actually looks like you, Gilman. So that's good. We got the right person. Got the right guy. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> the right person this week. Excellent. Who's that guy? <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously today we're going to have uh, the conversation with Gilman. Uh, and uh, that'll be interesting. But next week, I want to put the advertisement out there. So I have uh, Kevin Warren uh, joining me uh, next Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, Kevin is the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. So uh, this is a big business. This is a sports industry. This is dealing with colleges. This is uh, something that's been affected dramatically by the pandemic. And so hearing from a leader in the sports uh, world, I thought would be an interesting twist to some of the stuff we've been talking about recently. And then, of course, last week, uh, I had Elliot Higgins. That replay is now available. Uh, Elliot's book comes out within a month uh, called We Are Bellingcat. And here's a person who, uh, for those that didn't get a chance to listen to the Elliot conversation, Elliot uh, was a video gaming intense individual who was really shooken up by September 11th and wanted to see what he could figure out, uh, became a news junkie, and then really when social media got going, decided to use some of the uh, available data from Twitter and geolocation and using Google Earth, et cetera, to connect a bunch of dots. And he, he figured out uh, the Syrians were using chemical weapons. He figured out the Russians shot down Malaysia 17. And this was all before government authorities were able to do so. And he did it with open source and social media. So uh, that's a fascinating conversation that's now posted and available as well. So, and of course, uh, the final tidbit of advertising is for my book, <laughs> which came out last year. Uh, and of course, I'd encourage you to get that if you haven't already. Um, so that's, uh, that's the quick advertising for today. Um, and we'll, <laughs> we'll move on to the main event, so to say. So uh, like I said, I'm absolutely thrilled today to have uh, uh, Gilman with me. Uh, Gilman, I'm going to let him introduce himself because his his bio has some uh, some really unique angles uh, in there, including video game design work, as well as working for the CIA as their venture capitalist and starting that endeavor. And then, of course, now in a more traditional venture capital role. But uh, but Gilman, thanks for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I just love you to introduce yourself in your own language. Sure. Well, thanks a lot. Um, you know, it's an honor to be here. You know, I'm a kid who grew up in. Uh, you know, middle-class family in San Francisco. Um, you know, my education is all public school education. And uh, I got fascinated with the concept of having a computer in my house when I was about five. Um, but of course, the concepts back then, and you know, and this is like in the 60s, that, that you would have to have a whole house full just yeah. to have a computer, right? But the idea that one day people will have their own computers could change the world. So I was just fascinating i would like sneak into my local city college uh san francisco city college pretend like uh you know i belonged there it was kind of obvious that a ninth grader didn't <laughs> belong in the middle of, you know a college thing but i was like playing star trek on a teletype 33 yep. Yep. <laughs> you, you know and and adventure on the teletype 33 and um and it was running on some cdc machine uh, yeah. in the basement uh, and I just said, like, this is going to change the world. Yeah. Right? So uh, unfortunately, you know, I was one of those kids that was the uh, dumbest kid in all the smartest classes. And, you know, in public <laughs> schools, you have the, you know, these honor programs and AP programs. There's always the same 30 kids to go to the same classes. Right. I was always kid number 30. <laughs> you know, there are always nine kids smarter than me, than me and everything, cut. right? Cut though. Hey, that's all right. <laughs> so, so, so when my, my college counselor, my high school, uh, in the high school said, Hey, you know, what, what do you think about majoring in? And, and I said, um, I think about majoring in computer science. I really like computers. He goes, bad idea. Hmm. What do you mean bad idea? I love computers, right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty good at it. He goes, yeah, you're pretty good at it, but there's those 29 other kids. It's a piece of advice, son. Yeah. Right. 
major in business and hired the other 29 kids. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. I made <laughs> a bunch of computer science classes. And then I figured out how to start my business in college. So I started a video game business in college and kind of, kind of grew it. Uh, and you did all the things that you do, you know, this is back in the TRCD Apple two days. And I this, is all, this is all pre-floppy, right? And this is still the cassette. Yeah, cassette. You know, yeah. I got I, 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 exactly. have my pet computer with a little cassette and a little chiclet keyboard right there. And my TRS-80 with the cassette thing that never worked. The uh, Apple II was too expensive for me, but, you know, because I was a middle-class kid, right? I mean, you can only work so many hours in the liquor store busting bottles to pay for a computer. So, but it, it just like the light bulb went off and I just said, like, these computers, we, we, we can make any fantasy real on these computers. And it was, you know, it was text-based back in those days, but it, it was fun. Grew the business, ran out of my family's house, did all the things that you're supposed to do, you know, eventually went public. You know, I had Kleiner Perkins backed me, Excel Partners backed me, and it, and it was great. It was, a, it was a wonderful experience. And then eventually Hasbro bought me. And I got to tell you, I have for this moment in time, what at that point was like, I didn't think I could get in a better position in life. I was the chief creative officer of Hasbro. Yeah. That's like Tom yeah. Hanks in the movie Big. Yeah. All I did was walk around and go, that toy? Who would play with that toy? Or, you know, oh, 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 a Furby? Like, that thing is like, yeah, like double down on those. Those are going to make, make, a, make a mint, right? And so, but I get this phone call from uh, a recruiter from the CIA, and, and they asked me to, um, you know, have a discussion with them. So like, what would you say you want with me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of cool. I get to go that CIA, nobody gets invited to that building, right? I mean, there's like yeah. gates and guards and guns and, you know, it's like a secret <laughs> sure. thing. So I go in the building and I'm meeting now with the director of CIA, George Tennant. Yeah. He's trying to convince me to go take this job. They had this thing, they had this idea of creating this halfway home between technology, people and government people trying to solve the world's toughest naughty problems and information and um he said well how would you do it i said i had to start a venture fund i said that's what oracle would do or that's what sure. intel would do do a strategic fund let's do a strategic fund he goes great let's do that why, why don't you take the job i go i we got a good job i'm yeah. chief creative officer of hasbro george Tennant leads forward and goes i got a secret for you it's a CIA secret. Like I got to hear it. What's the <laughs> secret? Right, it's a secret, right? So what's the secret? He goes, we have better toys. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And so you know, hard to argue we, with that. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. But you know, and he also put out, you know, your father served in, in the military in World War II. And your brother served in Vietnam. You haven't done anything for your country. So what are you going to do, right? So and. Yeah. They're very good at guilting you into doing something that you probably wanted to do all along. So I took the job. It's excellent. Right. So that's how, that's how I got started in venture capital and how I got my. So I have a, a, one quick question here uh, that I want to throw in there. Sure. Which is, how much of sort of that path do you think was dependent upon the fact that you were born and raised in California, where a lot of this technology innovation was happening, right? A lot of these venture guys that backed you early were there and investing locally. The computer stuff was all there. I mean, if you were born, let's say in, I don't know, Minneapolis, do you think you would have had that same sort of ecosystem around you? Or do you think you would have had this passion that would have taken you in that direction? Or was it just a little bit of being in the right place at the right time and having the right interest? It's all, you know, it's, I'm a big believer in you know, Port Michael Porter's view of clusters, right? That you have these centers of excellence where you have academia, you have industry, you have the legal constructs, you have the availability of capital. All those things have to work yeah. to create a place like Silicon Valley. So, you know, people say, hey, I want to create Silicon Alley. I want to create Sil Silicon Northwest. And all those efforts are good. But it's sort of like baking cake and you have, you know, you're missing an ingredient. You have to have all the ingredients and then you have to have the technique and the technique takes generations. And what people miss about Silicon Valley, and there are other places like Silicon Valley in the world, but they're not a whole lot, yeah. is that it got its start, you know, in World War II. It was the home of a lot of the technologies used for radar and electronics and you had generations who grew up with that expertise. You know, my uncles worked at Lockheed Martin. 
You see, before I do a Silicon Valley, it was like Lockheed. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah they had their skunk works out west, didn't they? Right, the skunk works in Palmdale, right? Yeah. But the, yeah. the, the West Coast, and it's because of Stanford, because of Berkeley, because of the nuclear programs, because of the radar, it just, you, you, you know, like Hollywood took all the good-looking people in the world, right? Yeah. And they all went to LA, right? But all the brainiacs kind of went to Northern California for a period of time, not all, but lots. And that became the foundation. So, look. Yeah. If I was a kid growing up in the middle class in, in Minneapolis, and Minneapolis is a great town, right? But would I have run into a Benoit Kosla? Would a Jim Breyer have ever taken an interest in me? Would anybody in the world think that doing a video game was something that you could build a career of around, or much less have an interest in? This, 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 it's not in the DNA. So yes, that's a long answer to your short question. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think that the cluster logic, I think is a big part of it, right? And I agree with you that you have these ecosystems where if they have all of the dynamics at work together, you get some, some magic. The parts yeah. add up to something that's more than uh, a sum of those parts. It's the whole is bigger. Um, and I think that is some of the magic that happens in places like Silicon Valley, et cetera. So, okay, so you're at the CIA and now you're getting to play with the coolest toys. <laughs> Or invest in, or invest in, and sort of partner. The intersection there of sort of you know, commercial organized innovation for profit, and the national security or surveillance or intelligence oriented objective. Sometimes you can imagine how they may differ in, in terms of, of goals. Yeah. So, so help us understand how do you how do you navigate that. It was it was hard, you know. the The valley part was the easy part because I grew up there, right? I mean, learning how to talk valley. If you grow yeah. up in the valley, it's like yeah. growing up in the shopping mall. You learn how to speak valley, right? Yeah. You dress valley. You speak yeah. valley. So the, yeah, that like, wasn't I, like I know, like yeah, yeah. So that's not <laughs> difficult. Um, but I had to learn a whole new vocabulary, you know. And I, I had to go through the uh, initiation process of being an outsider trying to get inside the CIA. Yeah. And it was really interesting, you know, George Tenet um, uh, and his number two, Buzzy Krongard, um, said to me, look, you got to wrap yourself around the CIA. So here's what we want you to do. Every other week, we want you here. We want you to understand the mission. We want you to talk to the officers. We want you to go out in the field. Unless you understand the mission, all you got is stuff. Yeah. Right? And, and so there's a great... Um, executive at the CIA, a great scientist, Ruth David. She's part of the National Academies of Science now, but she ran the director of science and technology um, right prior to me coming in. She kind of recruited me and her team recruited me. And, and what Ruth said is, is look, it's, it's hard in this place because everybody thinks their problems is special, but she didn't believe that the problems were that different than anybody else's problem. Maybe it was bigger, maybe the consequences of getting it wrong were more, but their IT problems were very similar to the IT problems a Chase or a JP Morgan might have. Their, you know, their need for compute wasn't that different than maybe a Yahoo's need for compute in the search, right? And, and so what she said was, look, the world's changed. Innovation is... Well, there's innovation happening in the defense contractors. The big IT revolution, the compute revolution, is not happening in those places anymore. It's not led by government. The problems may be exquisite, but the solutions are all being built out in places like Silicon Valley and Austin, Texas, and in Denver, and up in the Northwest and Seattle, and over in Boston. It's not in the Beltway. Yeah. So I need you to translate between the classified requirements of the CIA mm -hmm. and the everyday innovation and invention that was happening out in the West Coast and build the bridge between those two things, places. And that's but, what we had to do. Okay, well, why couldn't you just buy it? I mean, why do you have to invest in it? Couldn't you just go and become a customer? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's sort of like, um, that was a question. Right? They, they, they had Congress asked that, in fact, they had, Studies after study the business executives and national security studied this. Does this InQtel model is it ever going to work? And 
Congress said, you know, the House appropriations go, we could buy a lot of park benches for what we're giving these guys and park benches get votes, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know about sending money to Silicon Valley. And I said, guys, if, if, have you read the federal acquisition requirements document? It's 1,656 pages, I think, at that time, <laughs> right? It's the book and, you know, yeah. like tissue paper of, you know, eight point type. Yep. And, and you take this far or defar, as we call it in, in, in the Beltway, and you give it to a startup. <laughs> and you say, just read this. Yeah. And um, you should apply. You're going to read this register here. And you might apply for a contract. And then you're going to have to team with one of these big defense contractors. And, um, and you're going to fill out all this paperwork in 18 months. They might take your information request and turn into a bid and 36 months you might get a contract and you might be a, a sub yeah and and yeah not only did the entrepreneur goes no i don't want any of that the venture fund said hell no yeah <laughs> yeah but they said, i don't how's that gonna make us any money like that's off strategy we got to get on strategy so we had to we had to articulate the problem differently right so we had to say look first of all we need to invest because we need to work together. We need to be on the same page. We can't be just a customer, right? Um, we need to be able to say, we don't do it because we want to control, but we want to give you unique insight. And it needs to be, it's a partnership between entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, mm -hmm. right? And the reason why strategic venture capital works is because it puts the strategic investor at the same table with the financial investor, building yep. the company together. Yep. And, and so why would anybody... I mean, I remember Barron's writing a report saying, why would anybody want to take money from the CIA? You can go walk down the street, get money from Kleiner Perkins or Sequoia or NEA or any one of these other great VCs. Who cares about a $30 million CIA fund? You see anybody with slippers and sandals are going to walk in in the valley to them? And what I said was what everybody missed was the fact that your problems are exquisite. Yeah. And exquisite problems people gravitate towards exquisite problems. And quite frankly, the government problems tend to happen before industry. So we had a big search problem before there was a need for big search. There's a Could reason. Because there's, yeah, more, there's more data. Well, why did Larry Ellison's first contract come from the CIA when Project Oracle was underway? Because it was to solve a big problem. Why, why does you know, now what's this Google Earth, right? Who's the first users of those technology? The government. Right. Yeah. So, so once we flipped it and said, guys, we had the big problems, we'll pay you to come solve our big problems. It'll get you a start. We'll align to make sure it's not off track with your other venture investors. And if you can solve my problems, you can solve industry's problems. And then it opened up. Got it. Got it. And how long were you there? Jim? Six years. Started why? in 1999 and I left in 2006. And why? Why'd you leave? Well, first of all, I love the job. It was a great job. Right? Yeah. I have two reasons why. Said, yeah. Right. Uh, they wanted me to go overseas and they wanted me to, you know, go visit Afghanistan and Iraq and then take a stop in Colombia <laughs> on the <laughs> way back. And my wife, and we, but my second child was on, on, on her way. And um, my wife goes, there's no way. If you, if you, if anything happens to you, like, yeah. like, no way. So that was number one. And number two was, you know, to do that job, I felt it was really important that you need to live and breathe the West Coast, at least in that phase of the company. And I was beginning to sound like a government guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, yeah. and, I, and I said, look, I'm a startup guy. The, this this IQTEL thing is now past the startup phase. Yep. And while I would love to nurture it and continue to do it because I just enjoy it so much, I think you find somebody better than me to go take it to the next level. And they did. Chris Darby's just doing a wonderful job, right? He's been there twice as long than I ever held the job. And um, every organization goes through that evolution, right? Between the startup to, to the growth and to the maturity. And you need different people along the way. Yep. And then, so then you went and became just a straight up venture capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> straight up. Hey. 
not really plain, but sort of my guess is <laughs> what you're doing now, like it's got to be informed by obviously your experiences of whether it was game design work or um, sort of this intersection between innovation, technology and national security or sort of defense, possibly you might even dance on that edge. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I, I look, here's the thing that I learned from my years at NQTEL, right? Um, you need to study what is happening in the world to give you a unique insight on where the next challenges and problems are. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of my friends who's uh, now works with me said, look, it's always better to sell aspirin than vitamins. You know, vitamins is things, things you should do, should have, it'll make you healthy, yeah. right? Um, people Soft. buy that sometimes, but you got, you got a major headache, you pay anything you need to get rid of that headache, right? Find the pain points. And, um, and, and that gave me a unique insight in the world. If I could understand where the friction is in the world, where the pain is going to be, uh, where will, where, where the next problem set is going to rise that will meet the next challenges, then the money will follow to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. So this concept and, and Bill Perry was the one who came up with this idea of creating problem sets. Bill yep. Perry was the former secretary of defense. Yep. And Bill said, Gilman, right. Don't do requirements, do problems, do problems. Yeah. Right. And so I just taken that with me. So I, wherever I look, I look for problems. I thought, what's the next new set of problems? What's the new set of, you know, things that are going to either threaten mankind or things that will trip up society or challenges that, you know, we're going to need some new tools to go fix. Yep. Now, I never predicted that we would be here in 2021 with a pandemic and, you know, nationalism on the rise and, you know, countries in kind of complete reorientation and the era of great competition, all this stuff that we're facing now. Yep. Talk about a world of problems. That's a lot of opportunity then, right? There's lots of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So tell us a little bit about... Um, uh, Alsop Louis Partners and sort of what you guys are doing and how would you articulate the sort of vision and what you're trying to do there? I mean, whether I, I think you described it to me as gadfly and, and geek or whatever yeah. it was, sort of that sort of coming together of different approaches, which I love because it yeah. fits very nicely into my generalist specialist logic and you need both and sort of explore, exploit and all of the above. So, um, well, I have some great partners too. I started the fund with Stuart Alsop and, and, and Stuart, you know, a journalist before he became a venture capitalist, right? Yep. You know, wrote for Fortune. And, you know, he, he was a convener of all the major conferences back in the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s. You know, the, the demo conference, the agenda conference. You know, yep. anybody who was anybody wanted to show up in his conference, right? Bill Gates, Larry Ellison, Steve Jobs. He would all be there, right? And every once in a while, I get a free pass to admission because I was like <laughs> the kid, like, oh, wow, look at all these really important people. But, but um, Sir called me up one day and said, look, I heard you're interested in like leaving InQtel. Why don't you think about joining me and we'll start a new fund. And, and so we spent some time together and, and Stuart and I had known each other for years because he wrote about me back in the eighties. Um, and then what we realized quickly was, I said, Stuart, you know, you know, everybody, there isn't anybody you don't know, right? Yeah. If I, you needed to get an answer from Bill Gates, like you send him an email, he actually answers back in five minutes, <laughs> right? You know, anybody, you just like know everybody. And he goes, well, you know everything. Like I ask you any question, you know all the answers, right? I said, oh, I may not know all the answers myself, but I know pretty well. So, yeah. so it became a joke between him and myself. And it's like, so he goes, well, you're the geek. And I said, well, you're the gadfly. And he yep. looked at what's a gadfly. He's an annoying bug. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he said, well, you know, like, you, you know, you're like a jester with a you know you know the definition of a geek and i said look so stop but there is this magic right between the understanding of technologies and trends and the understanding of people yep and and societies and and only by putting those two things together yeah. you can build something that's unique and different look there are a lot of venture funds and there's like ten thousand venture funds and they're all run by really smart people you can't be a 
an idiot and run a venture fund for very long. It doesn't work, right? But what makes a fund unique and different, you know? And everybody who's good at that trade craft has their kind of value proposition. I think our value proposition is we do a pretty good job of seeing into the future, right? We, we kind of say, here are the trends that's going to happen, see those problems happening. Yep. And then working with really, not in age, but in, in business maturity, right? Really young entrepreneurs to nurture that set, those sets of entrepreneurs to a place of maturity to drive a big business. Yep. Right. There are lots of funds you can take, really bright people who are already bright, who are already experienced and like can make money that and they do a great job. But we love crafting. The, the, the individual talent, right? To unlock their talent and then say, you know that good idea you had and you think it's a good idea? We're going to make it a great idea. You yeah. thought you can only run, you know, a, a 11 second, 100 meter dash. We're going to get you down to, you know, under 10, right? I mean, it's just immensely yeah. satisfying. Sure. And it's great. You know, we created a lot of great companies together. You know, Twitch is a great example. Changed the world. Thinking about gaming, you know, Niantic, also gaming, you know, Google, you know, the Google Earth in my prior life, right? And now, now we're playing that in the gaming industry. We're doing rocket engines and, you know, yeah. cybersecurity and all the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's turn to that. Because, I mean, look, the yeah. current events of the world have us in a situation where, I mean, you and I could talk for hours about cyber dynamics, artificial intelligence, sort of additive manufacturing, automated manufacturing, go on and on. But let's start with something big, cyber. Um, we've just recently had some big uh, cyber breaches. Um, and, you know, given your prior hat at the intelligence agency, as well as your hat today investing in cyber uh, technologies and cyber uh, security generally, how are we supposed to, as ordinary citizens, supposed to think about the fact that our government was breached in such a major way? The fact that the Chinese have the personnel records from years ago, the fact that we've had some of these really big data uh, incursions. And the more residual concern that really bugs me is, could there be sort of monitoring ongoing that we're not even aware of that now these foreign entities have access to? So how do we think about this? Well, I, I, think, um, I think we need to reframe the, the challenge ahead, right? So we tend to think of IT. And, yeah. and cybersecurity as, you know, some sort of computer problem. Mm -hmm. You know, IT is like, that's technology, right? And cybersecurity, if you have a problem with somebody breaking into your computer or you've been fished or any one of the things, you, you call the IT guys. <laughs> I right? call the IT department. Like, so my computer doesn't start up, you know? I've been locked out, ransomware. Call the IT department, right? And so whether you're a government or an agency or a bank, just do the same thing. Call the CISO. It's, a, it's an IT problem. Yeah. So we tend to think of everything as a, this thing as an IT problem. Our adversaries look at this as a domain of attack. Yep. Right. They don't look at cyber as picking a lock or putting a better padlock on or building a higher wall or deeper moat. They look at it as an opportunity space. And you create a strategy around that space. And they take advantage of the fact that as a democracy, because unlike a place like China, right, which can dictate rules like, we're going to have military civil fusion. You know, all of our commercial companies will also serve the military in the, in the, in the People's Republic of China. Well, that's not who we are as Americans. We don't do that, right? I mean, if you want to help the government, that's fine. That's not, but you have to want that. If you don't want that, Government can't force you to do it. Yep. Right? Agencies have these rules and structures to make sure that we protect civil liberties and that we make sure we make sure that people don't overextend their government rights beyond the, the, the legal frameworks. And what does that result in? Lots of seams in the system. Yep. So as you're looking at this as an IT problem and buying, trying to spend more money to buy more and more expensive locks. Our, our competitors and, and our adversaries are using this as an opportunity to split us through all those seams, yep. to exploit that in that space. And they use national means to do so. 
-hmm. they use a whole a government approach to do so right and and look they know that the u.s has an information advantage over the rest of the world we have a compute advantage an information advantage in many cases we have a, a talent advantage right so look if somebody else out there is more talented than you is inventing stuff that you don't have right you take a page out of what america did to england right what japan did to the u.s in the 50s right you just borrow it <laughs> it's sort of like yeah why do i need to recreate that i can just steal it but now you don't even have to steal it we can just use open source sure. right so so sure. So, so that's the problem right now with cyber, right? If we're going to fix this problem, we need to look at this as a domain problem and not an IT problem. Sure. What's interesting is, you know, I, I think you're right to sort of borrow it logic. I was really stunned when I read uh, that book, The Shadow War, about yeah. China's real incursion into the data of Boeing's plans. I mean, this is stunning, full replicas of entire plans and all the R&D and all the experimentation that went into it. Down and, to the colors of the wires. I mean, <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta use the red wire. Why? Because Boeing used the red wire. We gotta put red wire here. <laughs> I mean, it's really disturbing at some level, but all right, so let's, okay, let me go there. This is, a, um, this is the elephant in the room. You've referred to our adversaries. Let's just put some names on them, China and Russia. Um, and so in this domain of sort of U.S.-China dynamics and the rivalry thereof, is Russia a factor or is it just sort of an annoying side thing here? How do you think about that specifically from the domain of technology uh, and, and sort of the worlds you, you operate in? So I, I, I wouldn't put them in the adversarial. I would clearly put them in a rivalry camp, right? I, I put more like, you know, North Korea and Iran more in the clearly adversarial right i mean there, there's nothing we have <laughs> that we want to do with them and they don't want to have anything to do with us and we don't like each other right whereas there's a cold maybe less so with russia but there's a cold dependency issue with with you're kind of a frenemy china. <laughs> kind of thing with china right so it's a it's a rival uh, great competition that could result in an extremely adversarial place yeah. maybe even a second cold war so let's start with your first question russia look and you know you have to be a study of history to, to understand kind of the russian psyche right and 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 look there's immensely proud country with a rich deep hit heritage and their most the thing that they value most is their toughness russians are tough right we, we, we live in a really cold place and people <laughs> try to invade us right we outlast them you know, yeah. is our life hard? So what? That makes us tougher, makes us even better. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and, and, and so when the great Soviet Union was a great Soviet Union, what was the thing that they had over everybody else? With maybe the exception of the US, they could project power. Yep. Right? So they, they, they used the, the, we're willing to swallow a lot of pain internally as a nation if we can exert and project power abroad and to take great pride in their ability, right? Whether it was their space program with cosmonauts, they're yeah. building out their military, right? That influence. And then when the Soviet Union blew up, they went from a superpower to off the map. Yeah. So, you know, going back and forth and around and around, you, now you have, you know, a leader in that country, Putin, who's a tough guy. Ooh, this like, like this is like us. We're tough. He's tough. Like, let's put those two things together. And what do you want to do? Well, if you got one fifth the economy, one fifth the military, right? Not as many people as the other two guys, right? What are you going to do? Project power and you focus on the asymmetric ways to do so, right? Exactly. You can't. You can't go mono mono. Yeah. Right. So Russia is doing. You know, we may not like it. I certainly don't like it, but it's like, if this is a video game, they're playing out their role perfectly. Yep. Right? Now, China's a different kettle of fish. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in the long term, of, in, in, this in video games, right? There's like, there are people who are playing to win. Mm -hmm. I think the US and China are playing to win. They're yeah. like, the, 
they're like at the poker game, right? There's the, around the table. There's like two guys who are like always like winning all the pot, the money to go back and forth, back and forth. Right? And, they, yep. and everybody else just comes to the game to lose money to the other two guys, right? <laughs> right? Russia is like like a little bit of the, we can't win, so we'll just screw with the game. Well, a spoiler, just sort of- yeah, a spoiler, you know, I would just screw up the game, right? This is like this, you know. And, and look, <laughs> I, I can't read the mind of the leadership of Russia. I don't know what goes into their brains, but if, again, if it was the video game, it was like, I can't let the US get out too far ahead. I can't let China get too, out too far ahead. Even when those guys get out too far ahead, I'm not in the game anymore. So I got to like, do my tricks to keep them both in the game. China's a different case. And, and I try to explain this to a lot of folks in the West. And, and, and I just said, look, guys, look, you're, you're thinking about the last 20 or 30 years. You, you put China in the context and maybe in the last 100 years. But you, what, you, what you forget is China's been around for 3,000 years. Mm-hmm. They had multiple invaders. And we, we, we joke because I'm ethnically Chinese. Right? We joke, he said, like, it don't matter who the invader is. You come in, you invade China, right? You know, Mongolians come in, right? They, you know, well, guess what happens, right? After they invade, they get married to the locals and they have Han babies. No matter <laughs> where, everybody ends up with Han babies, right? China exists over 3,000 years because they understand in their own mindset the of what's important for them. And that is security and harmony. Why are those two words, security and harmony, important to them, right? Well, if you have harmony, you don't have revolution. Revolution is generally bad. Yeah, generally. (laughs) You know, though they have had multiple revolutions over time, right? And the lack of security means that somebody's going to invade. So when was the last time that they got invaded? Well, you know, Japan invaded China. That didn't turn out too well. Millions and millions of people died, right? And and from their viewpoint, the Europeans and Americans, right, stuck it to them in the, the mid 1800s. They went. We got to understand India and China in 1820s combined had more than 50 percent of the world's GDP. Mm-hmm. Are we saying well, China is ascending? No, in their mind, they're just returning to the rightful place. In their mind. They're returning to greatness, the great empire, right? The, 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 the kingdom needs to return. And somebody's like, well, you know, he, he just wants to be, you know, like the new emperor. Yeah, so the anomaly was us. Was us in their mindset. Yeah. And, and yeah. they said, look, the last hundred years, hundred plus years of humiliation, we'll never let that happen again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so they look abroad and they said, well, what happened to us? Not only did we let these folks in and, and take control of our country. They looked at that and said to themselves, hey, look, we completely missed out on the third industrial revolution. The Europeans so, and Americans just like crushed it. So what's the fourth industrial revolution? This information, the AI, the machine learning, the biosciences. Well, we're going to win that. Yeah. And we're going to use a whole nation approach and it was clear there's only one competitor out there. And it's us, yep. the Americans, on every one of those fronts. The, the one country standing in their way, in their mindset of their return back to the top is the U.S. So, so we're thinking, you know, we're playing a different game than these guys. Yeah. And, <laughs> right? and, and so, but, but it's come to the front. I mean, right? I mean, uh, it, Huawei. Uh, TikTok. It's sort of, we can go down the list. The tech war is alive and well, let's put it that way, or tech rivalry. I don't know what you want to call it, but how does this play out? So do you think we end up having effectively the great firewall of China sort of steps up and we end up splintering the the two internets? We get a sort of two global internets. I've talked about this in terms of economic development to say it's conceivable we have two global economies that emerge in this rivalry but do you think in the domain of technology and information flow do we get two internets and then i want to also while you sort of react to that talk to me about sort of their surveillance logic and sort of data hoovering on all individuals within their country and insofar as they're able to project that power yeah so let's start with uh, the two internets you know I said this at the Aspen Institute maybe 20 years ago, and it's turning out to be true, and I don't like it. <laughs> um, uh, 
we could easily go down to a balkanization of the internet. And it's not just two, it's not just the US and China. You know, Europe operates on a different set of principles than the US on terms of privacy and, you know, how they view it. They don't like American tech companies very much, right? The past lots of, you know, uh, judicial review over what they consider the, the US dominance or monopolistic practices of technology. The Chinese don't want it, right? And the flip side of that is the Chinese, right? Has their own version. Yeah. And, and what's, what people don't realize what's important about AI, it is hard not to graph your frames of references into the algorithm, right? When you mm -hmm. make it not biased or you try to reduce your bias, it's reducing bias from your reference point. Yep. Right. And your priorities and what algorithms it needs to train first on and the training set is all selected based on human being selection of what to train these systems with. The bias is going to be built in there. So if your nation is driven by security and harmony, that's right, that's going to be ingrained in those algorithms and in their approach and the application of their technology. If we're about democracy, individual expression, individual rights, then it's going to be in our code. It's going to be in the DNA of this code base. And unlike code of the past, where you have you know, people typing away, you know, like, let's put this rule in, let's put this rule in, right? These systems begin to self-learn on their own based on those frames of references. Yeah. And so what you're going to get is, and, and we, we, I'm on the AI National Security Commission for AI. There's 15 of us and get the commissioners, right? And, and we said, look, do we want a world that's dominated by the principles that the Chinese hold dear to themselves or the principles that we hold dear to ourselves? But the difference, there's a couple of differences. They're pretty clear on what their values are. We're still arguing about it. <laughs> you know, and and then and 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 the rest of the world, the other two-thirds of the world. Right. It's kind of like taking a step back and go, you guys figure it out, but you know, don't spill your garbage over here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we see that with the Europeans, we've seen that with some of the other Asian countries as they sign deals with both China and the US. So 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 it is a really big deal mm -hmm. uh, in this rival competition and this technology competition, it's just again projecting out both countries' wills and their viewpoints of the standing of each country. Yep. So, and I had this discussion with a really successful big American company recently. We're talking about some M&A potential thing down the road. And, and they asked me kind of, well, you know, what will you use with this particular technology? And I, and I talked about a grand vision, right? And they, they said, oh, that's a grand vision. That's great. You know, we should do that. You know, well, you know, we haven't really bought 100% into it. We got to convince ourselves. We got, we got our own process. You know, American tech companies have their own process. And I go, I said, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. And he goes, what do you mean it's going to happen? I said, Alibaba, Tencent, and Huawei are already down this path. I got, you know, I have the roadmaps in Chinese, right? They publish it on the internet. They're doing it already, guys. So don't think just because... Google isn't doing it or Apple isn't doing it or, you know, um, Amazon isn't doing it. It's not happening. There's another part of the world. Yep. It's happening. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. Uh, so let me, let me change gears for a second here. Uh, Gilman, what's your favorite book or do you have a book recommendation for us? And, and I've been doing this webinar now, I've done 20 something <laughs> of them and people love book recommendations. So, <laughs> book either uh, so i'll give you a, a second to think about it either you know give me your favorite book or a recommended book but then also movie or mini series if you've got one that you're excited about. yeah yeah uh so a couple things let's talk about books for a second right okay every I, I lot of books but um i like to go back to the classics when i'm trying to figure things out right so in this great rival competition yep. between the u.s and china with this disruptor called russia kind of out there as well, right? Um, you know, I'm reading, um, rereading On War by Auschwitz. Oh, Auschwitz, yeah, right? sure. Uh, but what makes this rereading re of this particularly insightful is when you read it, if you every other day read it with the Art of War. Now you finish Art of War first because it's sure. you know, much, <laughs> much shorter, right? But yeah. if you read the chapters here and then you read the chapter there and you're trying to find the matching chapter, 
you get a pretty decent understanding of Western tactics and Eastern strategy. Yep. And it's like, you know, I'm a, a, I'm a really bad chess player, but I, I love chess because algorithmically, you know, I get a chess. Sure yeah, yeah, I agree. I just, yeah. love it, right? So, but I'm not particularly a great chess player, but I study it a lot, right? Just because I'm really interested. And like, it's the difference between chess and go. Yep. And you know, as you know, I mean, the, the, the Sputnik moment for the Chinese was AlphaGo. Yeah. When the computer like crushed, mm-hmm. you know, the number two grandmaster, it like, it, that's, the, that's it. That's the fourth industrial revolution. We got to win that. That was the, our moment. Now, what's interesting was, you know, AlphaGo, then they, they, Deep Minds applied it to chess and they crushed the other program called Stockfish which mm-hmm. was, it takes all the kind of human experience, expert, finely crafted algorithms on chess. And it crushed it like 109 games to zero, right? Yeah. It didn't move the needle for us. <laughs> uh, so, so that's it. Um, yeah. On okay. mini, a mini series and movies, right? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of like, my kids love watching Korean dramas. They just okay. <laughs> all love, right. love it. Cause you know, they're teenagers. My daughter's like all the romance and, you know, the competition okay. among families and it's, it's lots of fun. So, but what I took a particular interest is, is watching Chinese modern dramas. I mean, there's some historical ones, but the, the love stories are always fun. But the reason why I like the ones who are focused on, uh, a younger folks. The Korean version of that is called Startup. Okay. Uh, it's on Netflix. And um, the Chinese version is called O2O. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. Now, what's interesting about this show, so it's, uh, it's this modern day China, right? yeah. in, in the Korean case, modern day Korea. But let's start with the, the, the O2O. Right. Here, here are the heroes. It's a constant set of heroes, right? The heroes are young technologists in video games. Yep. Who aspire to do a startup, mm-hmm. compete against some bigger Chinese company to one day go public on the NASDAQ. Yep. <laughs> right. So, yeah. No, and, it, and I'm going, there it is, guys. It's right there. You watch show after show after show. It's the same thing. Love Triangle, young technologists, pulls him or herself up by a dome bootstrap, falls in love, goes public on the American stock exchange. What are the Chinese? I always say, look at movies, read books, yeah. understand the culture's aspirations yep. of where they would yep. like to go. Because if they didn't want to go there, nobody would watch the show. Yeah. No, right? it's interesting. I mean, I think this is I think this is part of that whole full spectrum logic that you're talking about. You know, Joe Nye wrote about soft power yeah. uh, and sort of the cultural imbuing and sort of I was watching this movie and I've discussed it with a bunch of friends uh, called Think Like a Dog It was put together by the Chinese uh, Cinema Corporation or something like that. Yeah. And it's on Amazon Prime and it's Chinese entrepreneur who was a video gamer who decides <laughs> to sort of invent a new it's technology. Totally- there's a in this case there's an evil uh indian evil indian successful entrepreneur who's trying to venture steal the ideas from the guy because the indians are sort of the spoiler in this world (laughs) and there's an american partner so it's exactly that it's the brilliance of china being held back because of and they break through and you know all that good stuff so even that one i was watching one where there was a military one where they go to the middle east and they have to rescue a bunch of chinese hostages taking time with the the evil folks in the middle east right and kind of their their, their story set up and because this is a show about the chinese and being held hostage and there's a rescue the military guys going to rescue you know do the, you know do all the things like our western version of you know mission impossible yeah, their version of top gun so sure top gun right so, so so but it ends with i'm going like this in the middle east, but it ends with they're out in the middle of the south pacific there's the chinese fleet and off in the shadows are these silhouettes. And I know these silhouettes, right? That's an Aegis class cruiser, <laughs> right? And in Chinese, they're announcing, please leave our waters. Yep. That was the end of the show. Now, what does that have to do with rescuing hostages in the Middle East? I don't know, but they're trying to communicate something to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. There's, there's, 
So look, we've got a bunch of questions that have come into me. Uh, I know we're running out of time. So let me start, let me throw a couple of them at you at the same time. And maybe you can connect them. Uh, One is uh, surveillance capitalism is a very sort of passive gather data and then try to manipulate people. The manipulation, in fact, you and I have talked about this is sort of going from data capture to active measures are sort of actually influencing. Yeah. Uh, how does that end? What, what happens? Do we all just become products of the big data companies? Well, I, I, it's not just that. I mean, nation states are playing the game too, right? I mean, you, you asked the question earlier. I didn't really answer the, the China question. I said, look, the, the surveillance and what we call surveillance and manipulation, they call harmony. Right. <laughs> right. Security and harmony. It kind of goes back to the same. Right. It, and yeah. it's a, like the culture of at least a portion of their society kind of go, what's the problem? Right. Like we don't want revolution. So if our government needs to take out some of the nails sticking out of the board, but so be it. Right. Where should we go? We're the nails. What are you talking about? Like that's who we are. Right. Um, I think it's a real challenge. I, I, and, and this is, I think we're going to have to wrestle with, what I call the weaponization of the First Amendment. The First Amendment's basic principle of free speech is your method to correct wrong speech or bad speech is more speech, right? Eventually the good will outweigh the wrong. But it was not in the context of these engines with intent driven by people to manipulate. I don't even to feed you a lie. I mean, everybody's worried about, you know, some deep fake, right? Yeah, we got to kind of worry about deep fake, but what we need to worry about is I don't need to feel you lies. I just feed you the truth in the order that I want to feed it to you and frame it the way I want to frame it. And there's no better way to tell a lie than with the truth. Yeah. And these algorithms, which were designed for ad tech to sell you something, you know, sell you something on Amazon or, you know, Home Depot's website or Walmart's website, right? That technology then applied to political parties, right? And kind of first Clinton, you know, was really the first ones to really begin to exploit the social web and each progression of the elections continue to do more so. And then the news guys decided that that you can make a lot more money if I blend talk show radio concepts with news. And so I mix editorial with news and make it entertainment, right? I can make them a lot more money. So you put all those factors together and we get a mess. Yeah. Right. And we're in it right now. We're in the middle of it. I mean, if I'm watching CNN or Fox or CNBC, unless I really am paying attention, it's hard to tell what's editorial and what's not yeah and what's not right and and now it's become an advantage politically both on the left and on the right to use these kinds of technologies and the russians are saying hey man this is a great tool yeah (laughs) who who needs to go to war i don't need to go to war i just do what we call in our business io influence campaigns influence ops yep right yeah so yeah interesting uh, you know, it's so. Do you think that gets regulated here? What what happens? How does that? How does the U.S. machine, the U.S. political dynamic, sort of react to this? Is it, it, it yeah, reaction through big, breaking up big tech, regulate them, more data privacy rules to adopt the European model? Uh, what happens? Well, it's uh, okay. Uh, whether it's big tech or old tech, right? It, it, yep. it, you know, those are what I call transports. Yep. It's like. I don't like this phone call, so I'm going to go blame AT&T. <laughs> right. Now, AT&T does have some problems with their phone systems, right? And the tech companies are profiting from bad behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's going to be some regulatory. It's going to probably happen out of Europe first before it happens here, but then, you know, it'll be a race. Some, no, big tech has no friends this week. Yeah. So that's yeah. number one. But traditional media equally guilty of this yep right so it is tradition it's all media forms of media whether it's social media as in the big tech companies or broadcast news right we're gonna have to and i'm not sure regulation is the right answer there's going to be some of that but regulation in and of itself is not going to solve this class of problems yeah yeah right 
I, I understand it's a tough one. I mean, I've always thought individuals should be self-aware enough to understand you're being manipulated and try to take sources from different sources, triangulate, never trust any perspective, et cetera. We thought the internet was going to provide that, right? We all argued in the 90s that the internet would change the world because it would give information, truth will emerge. But what it's turning out is my truth will emerge because I can find anybody to agree with my worldview and then I can create my, with these tools, my own echo chamber yep. and then reinforce those frameworks. Yeah. And, and because of polling, both, both um, broadcast entertainment as well as political, which constantly are polling and market surveying, those are all systems that reinforce current beliefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you got this amplification yep. in real time. And it's like the stock market, right? We get when you get these kind of massive trading, automated trading that takes place. And what happens to the market? It, it creates huge volatility and then crash. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So replace stock prices with society. And it's exactly the same mechanisms with no breaks in the system. There's no, like, we will suspend trading. There's no equivalent of pencils down, everybody turn off your computers, stop listening to broadcasting these for 24 hours. Let's all take a break. Yeah. There, there's no boundaries on information like the way we have in the stock. And we already know cascades happen mm-hmm. in the stock market. That's why we, we limit automated trades. Well, unfortunately, we haven't figured out how to do it with information. Yeah. So we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, so let me ask this last question that came in, uh, which I'm actually interested in too, which is where are you seeing the most promising set of opportunities or in your language earlier, what are the biggest problems that you think uh, create the biggest opportunities? And I'm going to put my own little two cents here. What do you think of space? Uh, is space a fr- It's obviously a frontier of competition, Chinese anti-satellite, other things. So maybe talk about where do you see big opportunities or problems that create the opportunities? And then specifically, I'm curious about your thinking around space. Um, so I, I think the last discussion is the biggest challenge facing the world because what it does is it, um, it, when people lose faith in their institutions, and it's not just us institutions around the world, whether you agree with a country's leadership or not, when they lose faith in their institution and their norms, and you get down to a chaotic, you can believe whatever you want to believe and truth is all relative. That's a very dangerous world. That, that, the, the dangers to global societies and to nation states, when nation states no longer operate you know, in, that, in those responsible frameworks and we're just like mob rule yeah. on, on a planet-wide basis, um, we're seeing it playing out in COVID right now. So, so that's, I think, is the biggest challenge Biggest opportunity to start to address space. Interesting opportunity. Look, space is like there's a it's like there's a revolution, right? It's entrepreneurship in space. I mean, even the Chinese have entrepreneurs trying to build spaceships and satellites, and you know, off to the races. And and there is here's what I love about space. It's not because it's really fun engineering, right? I'm I'm on the board of Maxar, so you know, and I. And, and I love space, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and Mike Griffin was a good friend of mine and worked with me at Incutown. He was the director of NASA, right? So we talk about space all the time. I think the spirit of who we are, that's, that there's a spark of exploration, the, 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 the distinct discover to, to, you know, to just get, to reveal the next, the next thing that, that, historically we've been trying to figure out for the last 3000 years, right? Space is part of that journey. So I think space on one vector going out, yep. I think biology, right? All this stuff, like how does our brain work and how do you do synthetic biology? What's the meaning of life, <laughs> right? Right down to the physics of multidimensional physics and, and those, those three axes of the yet to be discovered Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I just think it just powers who we are. And it's, it's, just, it's just great. And, you know, somebody asked me, he goes, well, you know, science is always wrong. 
You know, they, they, they like they come up with this stuff and then you find out two weeks. So why do we believe in science? I said, look, science is not about being right or wrong. It's not about truth. It is about knowledge. It's about understanding a little more today than we understood yesterday and applying that knowledge in a systematic way for the betterment of mankind. That's what science says. Of yeah. course, it's wrong. If, if it was absolutely right, it's called religion, right? And there's a place for religion, there's a place for science. And I'm a big believer in science. Yeah, no, so am I. <laughs> so, Gilman, thank you. I mean, you've been super generous with your time. I've always loved our conversations. This one's no exception. Uh, thoughtful, really helpful for me in terms of thinking about it. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Think for Yourself podcast. If you find value in these discussions, we hope you'll consider supporting this series by becoming a member of the Think for Yourself community. More information can be found at www.patreon.com slash mancharamani. And please do subscribe to the podcast series on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Spotify. 